Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Maker Memos, where I talk with first-time indie hackers or super early stage founders about their side projects and side hustles. Today, I'm chatting with Curtis, who scratched his own itch by building out a productivity tool based on the Pomodoro technique. We'll get into how he came up with the idea, the challenges he ran into, building a multi-platform app, and the things he learned along the way, which inspired him to go on to take on the 12 Startups in 12 Months Challenge. Hey, Curtis, welcome to the Maker's Memos podcast. Thank you for joining me today. You are um, excitedly guest number two, and hopefully lots to chat about in terms of uh, things you're working on at the moment. Before we get started, do you want to just uh, share a bit about who you are and a bit about your background and experience and things? Hi, Jonathan. Yeah, um, my name is Curtis. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm Curtis Lamp. I'm a full-time dev uh, by day uh, in finance, uh, mostly backend. And for the past year or so, I've been working on an app called Focus Focus. Um, in my spare time. Cool. And you're based, I believe, at East Coast, right? Yep. Yep. On the East Coast. Okay, cool. So tell us then about your side project. Kind of what is it? What, what, what does it do? Um, so it's a productivity, it's a productivity app, mainly based around the Pomodoro technique, um, but really implementing a system that I used for myself when I was mm -hmm. a graduate student, really just trying to, to codify that and, uh, mainly for me to use um, okay. more efficiently than pen and paper. Okay, cool. And Pomodoro, so do you want to just explain a little bit about what that is for those who haven't come across that before? Yeah, so it's really just a, a technique uh, where you set a timer for a specific amount of time. Um, usually the, the default or the most recommended one is about 25 minutes um, mm -hmm. and then with a five minute break in between. And the idea is that you can really focus for 25 minutes and then give yourself a, a break of five minutes to kind of, you know, get up and stretch or let your mind wander or something um, with the idea that you can start another 25 minute session right after that without really having gotten out of the zone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's something actually I came across, I think we, I mentioned this when we briefly spoke on email that quite a few years ago, I came across it. And the reason I was kind of drawn to it is it was this really cool Pomodoro timer that I think you get for the, the Mac at the time. And so it kind of drew me in. And mm. you, could, you could track the number of times, like you get a sort of a streak and see how many you could beat. And then it kind of encourages you to do more and more. Um, and it's amazing the difference of that focused effort of like 20, 25 minutes versus trying to say, well, I'm gonna work on something for two hours. Um, it's a very different mindset. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and like I said, I found it effective for myself. So I wanted to make a tool. Yeah. Cool. So you took that kind of as the, the concept, like how did you, what did you actually create then in terms of the tool building on top of kind of the Pomodoro technique? Um, yeah, so it's a, a multi-platform app. Um, it's not a, a, like really officially launched anywhere. Um, I was kind of in the process of trying to get like alpha testers before I put it out on any, on any app stores. Um, but the idea is that it would be a a multi-platform thing where you could maybe start a timer on your phone that would automatically show up on your desktop. Um, and for the most part, it's functional, just not released. Right. Okay. And in terms of like, like, could you explain it a bit in terms of like, what would it show you? Like, what would it do in terms of like, in, in comparison to the Pomodoro technique? Um, yeah. So I guess my kind of addition on top of just the timers was a, like a tagging system. Um, mm -hmm. So you could track what different like areas that you work in. Uh, so for me, like this kind of originated with trying to balance, balance my graduate school studies and mm -hmm. make sure that I spent an equal amount of time or, you know, about equal mm -hmm. on 
like the various different subjects. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in like math at the time. So for instance, I was studying for two really big exams, one in linear algebra and one in real analysis. And I wow, wanted to kind serious, of serious stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't stay with it, but I did pass those exams. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, wow. yeah. Um, but the idea was to balance and make sure that I was like spending an equal amount of time across all the different subjects. Um, yeah. And at the time I was tracking this like kind of by hand with different colors for the like time blocks that I would do. Right. Um, but yeah, so the idea was to kind of add that in an app and I implement it with like a colored, uh, tagging system. Yeah. So then like the colors that you apply to the, to each tag can then be used in like graphs and other analytics. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So classic kind of eat your own dog food, as they say, in terms of uh, building <laughs> yeah. something that you're really going to use yourself. Um, okay. So that kind of segues nicely into like why, you, you know, how and why you kind of came up with the idea. So tell us a little bit about that. So what, at what point did you realize that this was a thing that you needed or wanted to build? Yeah. I mean, I looked for, I looked at the other Pomodoro like technique kind of apps that are out there and there are a lot. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really see anything where it would be easy for me to implement my system and get the, like the kind of graphs and analytics that I wanted to see out of mm -hmm. it. Um, so that's when I decided to make my own solution. Okay. And so you obviously got some inspiration elsewhere from kind of other apps and things. Like, was there anything else you did to kind of get some inspiration about what you were going to build and, and how you're going to set about doing it? I guess the other thing that I didn't really see like out there at the time that that I wanted was a, was a cross-platform app um, mm -hmm. where like, I usually like to have like my phone or something next to me as my productivity tracker, but the ability to also see the timer like on my desktop and stuff right. definitely wasn't available. Yeah. That sounds, sounds quite, quite more involved as well, I guess, getting that kind of thing working out of interest. Like, was this like, were there other ideas that were kind of on the shortlist that you were going to build instead of this? Like how, how did you decide to build this over anything else? Um, I didn't have a whole lot of, uh, ideas when I started building this, I just kind of started building, but it took, okay. uh, a long time to go from. So like I said earlier, I'm mostly a backend dev. So yeah. a lot of the front end stuff, especially the mobile side of things, it was like totally new to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so between that and because I'm a backend dev putting too much emphasis on like how nice and fully featured the back end needs to be. Yeah. Um, you know, cause the project to run for like a, a year and a half or two years. Right, right. Um, so though I didn't have other ideas when I started that project during it, because it ran so long, I was kind of accumulating a, okay. a backlog of things right, I wanted right. to try. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll probably get into that then in terms of, you know, that build process. And, um, so you decided on the idea, like, what was the first thing that you did then? Like, was there any kind of discovery work and kind of validating it or like, how did you kind of start the process? No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. um, I started by coding, um, oh, cool. which okay. is not, you know, the, the recommended way to go. Yeah. Well, that's funny. You're the second, there's a hundred percent hit rate on starting with coding rather than with uh, validation. <laughs> both tests. So that's, not um, that's an interesting stat if it continues. Um, but okay, so you started building like, but did you did you literally map it out like in code as it were? Or did you have any kind of sketch or any kind of like requirements that you kind of wrote up anywhere about what you were going to build? Um, so for a while, I worked on the the back end stuff without ever uh, hooking it up 
to any sort of mm -hmm. front end. So there was definitely no like uh, design. It was uh, um, right. it was kind of like I know the functionality that I want. Um, so I built that out on the back end first, and then when I did get into the front end stuff, at first I was just kind of throwing stuff on the screen to like test the back end and, yeah. and make sure everything worked. Um, but then after that, uh, I'm definitely not a designer, but I kind of started with some really like chunky wireframes, um, and tried to smash everything into the shape that I wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and that was about it. Um, mm. yeah. So, and the reason I ask is I'm intrigued by like, how did you kind of resist the temptation just to kind of keep building extra stuff that just came to your mind? Like, how did you kind of shut off? Like, this is the thing, this is version one or version 1.1 or whatever. Like, did you, did you find that kind of there was some scope creep there at all? Mm, yeah, there's definitely, um, scope creep, but I did have, uh, an idea of what a version one okay. would look like. Um, so I kind of knew when that was, uh, like quote unquote done. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So I guess the idea for me was like the MVP should be the smallest thing mm -hmm. that is useful or yeah. that solves the original problem that I had intended. Mm -hmm. um, so really, as soon as I was able to make tags and add them to timers and see the color on the screen for each activity, that was like version zero done. Yeah, cool. Cool. Well, that sounds pretty clear in terms of your, your mind then. So you mentioned a little bit about um, wireframe side, what tool did you use to do um, to do this? Oh, sorry, wireframe might, might not be the, the best idea. Um, it's like a like a chunky marker sketch. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's just yeah. sketching out the one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And did you have kind of many iterations of those? Did you kind of like put together any that you're like, no, that's just not right and kind of throw it away or like, how did that process work? Um, yeah, so my iteration process was like, was pretty much, this is how I designed it to look and it looks uh, okay to my yeah. eye, which is not very good. Um, and then I would show it to my much more uh, aesthetically oriented partner, Deanna, and she would uh, like basically tear it apart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then that's my iteration process. Right, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. And then you touched on it earlier. So you spent quite a long time, I guess, in, in terms of actually building it in the end. Um, going mm -hmm. from, as in from start to finish, like talk a bit about that. Like, did you feel like, well, I say it took a long time, like maybe for the complexity it's not, I don't know, but did it feel like there was a reason for the time it took to, to do that? Like, was there something you would have done differently with the way you kind of built it? Like, was it cause you had other priorities? Like, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had other priorities in, uh, you know, in terms of like, like day-to-day -day life and work and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. It was kind of stop start. So that definitely added to the timeline. Yeah. Um, but I was also not, uh, I think I was over optimistic about how much I mm. could get done mm. in my spare time, which led me to kind of like balloon the scope much more than what it needed right. to be. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 Makes sense. And ironically, like it's kind of the opposite of what Pomodoro is when you stop start, you also have to restart your mind, restart the kind of process, figure out where you were before. Yeah. <laughs> and you hear that a lot with particularly with, you know, coding is like, you want, to be in that kind of deep work. And once you're in there, you don't really want to kind of break out of it. Cause that's when you really get in the flow. And I guess if you're coming back mm -hmm. to it, maybe a few days later or whatever, you've got to restart, remember where you were and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yes. And I was definitely not taking that into account. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. 
So talking, getting like a little bit more technical then. So it's, it's an actual app that you built. Like, can you just, talk, yes. could you talk through like a bit more about what that tech stack actually looks like then? Like what's it kind of, what kind of languages yeah. it built with, what's it built on and so on? Um, so I used, uh, for the front end stuff, the actual app, um, I wanted to, so I knew from the beginning that I wanted it to be cross-platform. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a tech stack where I could kind of code the front end mm -hmm. once uh, and not really have to worry about coding it again for each different platform because yeah. I was already learning it kind of from the beginning. Um, so at first, I kind of just listened to like what the, you know, kind of what it sounded to me like the the hot things in front end and mobile were. Mm. So I started learning React because I was like, oh, there's this thing called React Native where you mm -hmm. can just, you know, you can code a web app and then you can throw it on a phone with no problems, right? Yeah. Um, and that is the promise, but certainly not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I'd, I, I learned React and started with that. It was just not getting me where I wanted to go. And, wow. uh, and as Interesting. a- Especially because as a as a backend person, I feel like I'm kind of allergic to the whole uh, Node ecosystem. It's okay, just, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little painful. Um, so anyway, I switched to a framework that runs on top of the Dart language called Flutter, um, okay. which allows you to develop cross platforms app. Yeah cross-platform apps much more uh, truthfully, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can you can actually code it once and then deploy it yeah. on uh, on Android or iOS mm -hmm. or desktop or as a web app. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Interesting point about React. And you're certainly not the first person to kind of mention that. I, I personally actually have had a similar problem. I've tried to learn React um, and I just found it overly complicated for me, to be honest. I'm not, I'm obviously, I'm nowhere near as technical as you are, but um, sort of some ability to put together some slightly hacky code and um, I struggled and I found and funny enough um, Tim who was on my previous episode mentioned this too that like the temptation is to go after like the latest and greatest and obviously that makes a lot of sense there's a lot of community around that lots of documentation but sometimes mm -hmm. actually just using the tools that work for you that might be quite basic or quite even quite dated is also absolutely fine too <laughs> you kind of got to, got to use what works and I think to avoid yeah. the temptation to use the latest and greatest and, and and I think if I had more experiences with the like core web technologies like HTML CSS mm -hmm. JavaScript uh, I think maybe I would have been able to make react work a little bit more yeah the way I wanted to yeah um, yeah and like the 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 core concepts of react it it doesn't really seem that complicated when you right. when you get into it, um, but it's just when you uh, try and add the styling and how should I do that? Should I do it mm. in each React component? Should I actually write CSS separately right, right. And, and include it and all that kind of stuff that maybe a more experienced uh, like front end dev would have known a more efficient solution to? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, sure, yeah, makes sense. So tell us a bit more about Flutter then. Um, I, th I think I've heard of that. Um, I remember correctly, but I don't know a huge amount about it. So like exactly what is that? Like what kind of language would you actually use within Flutter? Yeah, so so Flutter's great. So you use a language called called Dartlang, which is uh, I believe like an independent open source project. Mm -hmm. But the Flutter framework that's built on top of it is actually like a Google ecosystem. Okay. A Google product thing. Okay. Um really what it is is just a basically it's a framework that allows you to write code 
in Dart that then gets compiled down to whatever the native language is, right? So like, uh, if you want to write a web app, it gets compiled down to WebAssembly, right? And likewise, at a, I, I think Objective-C on iOS um, and probably Java for, um, for Android. But it ends up being native code, which makes your apps much more performant than uh, something like a React Native app when, you know, at the end of the day. Version. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'll definitely provide some extra context about Flutter in the description because, yeah, interesting, interesting platform to use, clearly. What about, was there like anything else that you used that was maybe away from the tech stack? Like, did you use any, I don't know, any kind of plugins, any other tools that kind of just supported the process? No, not really. Um, yeah, so I did, used Flutter for the front end, like I said. Um, and then the back end was mostly Python with okay. Flask, um, okay. like pretty, pretty vanilla. Yeah. Um, okay. And what about databases and things? Is that Flask? Um, no, no, sorry. Flask is like a, it allows you to, to write like web APIs in Python. Okay. okay. Um, so that's just a, a library. Um, but then for the database backend, uh, I just use Postgres, which I think okay. is also a pretty vanilla choice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and again, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but like, was there anything stand out that was like a lot harder to do or like a specific challenge that cropped up or something you had to learn that you just weren't expecting when you first started working on this? Yeah. So I knew before I started that I didn't know anything about uh, mobile or, or web development. Um, so that wasn't really a surprise for me. Yeah. Um, really the main surprises were just managing myself and my own time and the, and the scope. I think that's the biggest learning that I took from the project um, was really, mm. you know, yeah, it makes sense. personal more than tech. But. Yeah. And did you do anything that to kind of improve that over time? Did you notice any patterns that kind of work better for you in terms of kind of getting in your flow? So I guess maybe this is a, this is an okay time to transition to my, or to talk a little bit about the more recent projects. Cause that's yeah, why sure. I think yeah. I took some of my learnings. Yeah. To go for it. Yeah. So because I knew my problem was kind of execution and staying on track to mm -hmm. release something, I wanted to start the 12 startups in 12 months. Cool. Uh, I don't know if it's a challenge or, or yeah, what, I've seen a few of them. There's like three and three, six and six, 12 and 12, like all sorts of variations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the idea was to, um, do something where I like practice shipping. Mm -hmm. Um, so really the way that I've been working since starting that, um, has been drastically different from the way that I worked when I started focus pocus. Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, I have the focus pocus app to keep me on track. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also instead of, uh, so I guess when I was working on focus pocus, I would write every little task that I wanted to do on mm -hmm. like a giant stack of note cards and kind of like organize my own little mm -hmm. backlog, which is terribly inefficient. Um, <laughs> and just led to a whole bunch of things being tracked that I was never going to get to because mm -hmm. they weren't important. Um, I even had a little, like my partner, Deanna made me, uh, like little boxes to go on the wall, okay. to, like shift the note cards across cool, like a yeah. real life Trello board. Yeah. Um, and that worked for a little while, but quickly became unmanageable. Mm -hmm. um, so since starting the 12 startups in 12 months, 
I've really just been writing like one really important task that is actually going to change things Mm. um, for each day for maybe like four or five days out and just kind of redoing that every two or three days Mm -hmm. as things change. And that has been uh, like a dramatic improvement. Yeah, that's really cool. So you still got the the kind of manual cards, if you like, rather than putting it on a trailer board. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And is that like, does that feel just more tangible to you? Like, is there a reason not to just create a trailer board? Yeah, I kind of liked it because it was tangible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And very visible, kind of reminding you every time you sit down, I guess. Yeah, I can't turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cool. Well, we'll get into that um, in a minute, because I think it'd be interesting just to touch a little bit on some of the projects that you're working on now. But before we get into that, just to wrap up uh, Focus Pocus, what did you, what have you done in terms of actually launching it and sharing it with people? I know it's kind of still an alpha, but like, what did you do to kind of get it over the line and then share with some people and, and get feedback and comments? Yeah, so that's definitely like a, a big area um, where I need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but like some, I tried to get it out there a little bit just by doing a couple like indie hackers posts about yeah. it and the process um, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and also some just like cold email to like, okay. I guess the target audience that I thought yeah. would maybe like something like this are like college students. Um, mm-hmm. And I was able to actually get a couple like alpha users through cool. that, but yeah. ultimately, um, yeah. So it was good to get like a handful of people, but in terms of any volume, I haven't really had mm. success. Well, I think that's success if you've managed to convert some cold emails, because I think that's probably one of the hardest, <laughs> hardest activities. So tell us a little bit about that cold email. So how did you approach that? Did you kind of put a few out, then tweak your approach? Like, did you do any kind of AB, not necessarily directly AB testing, but like, did you kind of tinker with things to see what worked best? Um, yeah, I don't think, uh, so I definitely had enough volume in terms of what I was sending out to mm. try some different things, but in terms of response rate i don't think i had enough total volume mm. to really see any okay uh meaningful difference yeah doing uh like doing an a b test but i did try a, a couple different things just to you know maybe get a heuristic sense for what works and what right. doesn't um even if it's not like you know like real statistical yeah. confidence or anything yeah um yeah so i just tried some different like different subject lines and uh and like different body text. Okay. Um, but ultimately, I don't think I saw enough to really draw like strong conclusions. Right. Okay. Okay. And were you sending just just from normal mailbox, or were you using any tool to send the emails at all? I was just sending from my normal mailbox. Yeah. 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 Okay. And um, and then in terms of like discussions on IndieHackers, I've seen a few posts you put on there and things. I mean, has that led to anything? Like, has any have you kind of collected some feedback from that? Like, um, I found that IndieHackers has been good for. Uh, like feedback, like hard feedback in terms of what to improve or what is definitely not good enough. Um, but as far as like getting people who were genuinely interested or mm. maybe wanted to try the product, definitely I didn't have any success on the mm-hmm. Indie as far as that goes. Okay. And have you got plans to, to share it anywhere else? Like um, kind of what, what's next in terms of what you're going to do with the, with the project? Um, so I think now that I'm doing the 12 startups in 12 months, I'm going to focus on these short projects mm-hmm. um, and hopefully learn some stuff to bring back to Focus Pocus. Okay. But for right now, it is kind of on hold. Okay, cool. Though I might, uh, with the anticipation of this uh, 
coming out if anybody wants to try it. I'm going to put it on the website in a mode where you can actually try it. Like up until this point, it's been like a uh, a form that you can sign up for, and I yeah. can sign, send you like a private link. Yeah. But like I said, with Flutter, I can also relatively easily just release it as a web app and allow people to try it. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Yeah, well, we'll definitely share some some links once you've got that set up on the on the uh, on the episode, so that people can try that out when you're ready. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. Cool. Um, and just out of interest, I noticed that you fill out a form. What um, what tool did you use for your forms? It looked quite a nice little service. Ah, yeah. Um, I really like. I'm using uh, Reform for that. Okay, that's not one I've seen before. It looked really neat, like in terms of UI and aesthetics and things. Another indie hackers product. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, whose uh, podcast I definitely listen to, um, but whose name I can't recall right now. So I'm that's okay. We'll, we'll add it to the description. Send it over <laughs> afterwards and we'll, we'll add that. Okay, that's, all right. All that's right. very interesting. They definitely give, get a, a shout out for that because it did look very cool. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great product. And I think I was lucky. Uh, they raised pricing recently, which good for them. Uh, yeah. But I was able to um, get in before that. So I have like a I have a free account as long as I don't get too many responses. Ah, uh, okay. We don't. Cool. Yeah. Well, interesting topic to for another time. Definitely on raising prices. So, um, <laughs> but just to wrap things up, maybe we could just come back to this twelve and twelve uh, challenge that you've got going on at the moment. So, can you share a little bit? Like, are you you can you share what project you're working on right now? Like, what the next couple of months going to look like for that? Yeah. So I'm in the um, I'm in the first month of it now, mm-hmm. um, and it has already like been really good in terms of just getting stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and it really made me be kind of cutthroat about the scope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so the first project that I'm working on, uh, like I said before, I used to be, uh, my goal used to be to become a math professor. So mm-hmm. I was in the, I was in graduate school for like a mathematics PhD program. Right. Um, and during that time, uh, a lot of your responsibilities as a graduate student is teaching uh, mm-hmm. in addition to your, you know, your actual uh, like coursework. Mm-hmm. So one problem that I found when I was doing that was sometimes you would get like questions over email from students and there's no real good way to reply like from a computer with math, right? Like mm-hmm. you're sitting at your email, you get an email and you either have to, you know, stop what you're doing or wait for a time when you can go find a piece of paper to write out a solution, take a picture and then upload it and get back to the student. Um, But there are tools for typesetting Mm. mathematics on the computers, but they're more oriented towards like typing full documents, not Mm -hmm. just like a quick little one-off kind of uh, solution. So the project I'm working on now is called Spindle and it's really geared towards that. It's, you can type a little bit of, uh, the language used to commonly used to typeset math is called LaTeX. So you can type a little bit of LaTeX mm-hmm. um, and get an image that you can copy, like copy to your clipboard and put cool. right into an email and respond to someone. Cool. Yeah. Sounds very niche. That sounds great. Like um, really picking out like a very specific part of the, the problem. Yeah. And I've really gotten great um, responses so mm. far um, because academics kind of live or die by email even during the summer i was able to get some responses mm. from professors and like this is definitely a problem that is felt strongly at mm. least by some um yeah i've had really great conversations with a couple of professors about the workflows that they use to get around this problem already mm. um 
and they seem excited about the potential on something like Spindle. Cool. So that's and, and so when you say you started that this month, does that mean you're going to have a version out at the end of July? Uh, it is live now. I think oh, I got a, an MVP live in a week. Wow. So okay. Much better than a year and a half. Um, yeah, that's really cool. And uh, Impressive. yeah, yeah. If you go to my, my main site is, uh, is licoriceworks.com. So right now it's on a subdomain. If you go to spindle.licoriceworks.com, okay. try it out. Yeah, we'll check that out and I'll add, it, add that to the description. Um, that sounds really neat. Um, okay, and, and is that kind of wrapped up for version one of that? Are you going to build some more on it? Are you, are you already getting ready to start project two? Um, I'm kind of gearing up for project two. Um, okay. I definitely, because I am talking to some people live, I think there's going to be, you know, some, uh, I don't know what you call it for 12 and 12, but extra innings, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to kind of make sure that Spindle stays yeah. responsive to any customer feedback. Um, which is a great position to be in compared to where I was before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my next project um, maybe is going to be interesting to you, actually. Okay. Um, it's, uh, I haven't really nailed down a, a name yet, but uh, in August coming up, I'm going to have to. <laughs> um, but the idea is to be like a, a podcast search engine, though okay. like these things exist for sure. Um, but mostly they just search the like description and maybe transcript if it's available. Mm -hmm. Um, what I want to build is something that will be able to search the, like, if there's no transcription, like use, uh, what is it? Whisper to be able to do the transcription and then actually link people directly to the timestamp in the podcast right. where they, um, you know, are, are interested in and hopefully mm. show some useful like graphs to give people an mm. idea of which parts in the podcast are yeah. relevant to their search. Yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I think I've seen a few of those cropping up for YouTube. I think some of those that type of thing, but not specifically podcasts. I can't think what the, Oh, I haven't seen that for YouTube. I'll have I to look. Yeah. I think it was something I saw. It's not quite, I don't think it's quite as involved as, as what you mentioned there. I think that's really cool. Um, wow. Exciting. So I guess to kind of close things off, um, it sounds like you've learned a lot from this process. So like going through kind of building focus, focus, and then you've kind of taken that and then obviously moved on from it, but really applied a new approach. Like, is there, is there a standout thing that you've kind of learned from this that has really helped you in terms of putting you in a position to actually build things so quickly now? Um, yeah, it's definitely, um, throwing out any notion I have of software quality. Um, <laughs> and because now I am so much more time constrained than at a, than at a full-time job, um, yeah. that just in order to get anything out there, you have to be really ruthless I think, yeah. in terms of uh cutting scope and when you have something that that works it works and leave it alone yeah love that great well i think on that note um we'll we'll wrap things up there where you mentioned before um in terms of finding some of your projects where's best to to find you curtis and, and anything you're building on at the moment yeah so i'm keeping a like a running index right now um on my personal site which doesn't have my name in it it's uh but it's licorisworks.com okay and i can send that to you in, in text if it's yeah easier. perfect yeah i'll add that yeah i'll add that to this as well brilliant well look thanks so much for uh for being a guest on the show it's um some really interesting insights there and uh, it was really good fun chatting with you 
yeah, thank you so much for having on for having me on. Yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely have to get you back on at the end of the 12, 12 month stint and see how that went. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have follow up. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot. See you again. All right, thanks.